God, thank you so much, God, Lord, for, for the blessings. Thank you for the testimony. Thank you for the praise. And thank you, God, that we can come to you on behalf of others, God. There's many that seek many different needs. God, you hear them all, Father. It's from all different ranges, God, from, Lord, what seems to be super serious to, Lord, what really in a lot of cases just, just heartache, um, God, that are just as real and just as taxing and and stress on bodies, God. I pray, Father, you be in the midst of each of these needs, God, and traveling safeties where needed. Lord, I ask you to keep your hands upon each. Father, I pray you'd be in the midst tonight, God. I pray you'd help us to learn something from your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to have to get busy if I'm even going to get through a few of these verses. I was hoping to finish chapter 1 tonight. In verse number 16, we left off last week. It says, And to pass by you into Macedonia... If you remember, we looked at it, that what Paul is saying there is that on my way to Macedonia, I'm going to stop by Corinth. I'm going to see you guys. And then he says, to come again out of Macedonia unto you. He says, when I leave Macedonia, I'm going to come by there again and visit you guys. And that's the time when he said he's going to spend the winter with them, and he could. But then he says, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. And what that means is I'm going to leave Macedonia on my way to Judea, and I'm going to stop by Corinth. And if y'all remember as we look back, Part of the reason I'm going to stop by is because I've asked all you guys to take up a collection because I'm going to go back to Judea, which would be the church at Jerusalem. I'm going to go to the home church, and I want to take the collection there with me. And he said in verse number 16 of the first letter of the Corinthians, we looked at it a few weeks ago, that he wasn't sure if he's going to be able to go or not. But it was intentions. You can be, you can be seated if you want, and I'm going to take a few verses one at a time here for just a little bit. Here, here he says that he has plans to come there and plans to come by twice. But what we see in the second part is, is that he talked about the collections. You know, we can take those up and take them back. And when he mentioned in the first letter, he said, if I'm able to go, he said, if it be meet that I go, they shall go with me. So it was still up in the air. His plans were still up in the air as to whether or not he would be able to go tonight. And so what we see is that even though Paul is the apostle that is sent to the Gentiles, he still has a heart for the Jew. He still has a heart for his own people. He still has a heart for the church back at Jerusalem. And he's, all of these Gentile churches he's responsible for starting and putting pastors over and all that he's doing, he has them taking up collections when he goes by, that the collections be taken back to Judea, back to the church at Jerusalem, because the church at Jerusalem and all of the Jews were still under great oppression of Rome. Listen, this, it's a real deal of the burning of the Christian bodies and lighting the streets, putting them on posts and setting them on fire to light the streets. If you've watched the movie, The Apostle Paul, that was a real deal. They really did that stuff. There was great oppression against the church. So Paul still has a heart from his people. But what we know from the letters is that the Apostle Paul's first plans fell through in the letter that he sent. And here he has these two plans, and these, these plans on the second one to come by twice, these plans, too, had to be scrapped. These plans were changed, and because of that, the enemy decides to condemn him. The enemy starts tearing him down and talking about that, that he's not trustworthy, even though the changes are unavoidable, even though they're beyond Paul's control, because the changes, we'll look at in a little bit, but the changes were given to him by the Holy Spirit. He's making plans. If remember, we talked about it last week, last week if the Lord will, he was going to do those things. He wasn't making plans as this is an absolute what I'm going to do. But if it's the will of the Lord, this is the way we're going to do things. He was seeking God's will and plans changed. And we talked about even in our own world, in our own modern day world, with all of the transportation that we have and all the cell phones that we have and all this in place, we still get travel plans changed all the time. 
Anybody ever had a place that you really wanted to go to? Something you really wanted to do? You had it booked and had planned to go there and it got changed and you didn't get to go? Well, just because you want to go and you plan to go doesn't always mean that you get to go. But because of that, that doesn't mean that you're not trustworthy. But that also doesn't mean that the enemy won't use stuff like that against you. Anything that the enemy can use to try to destroy your testimony, to try to tear you down, to make you look like a liar, to make you look less than trustworthy, the enemy will use it. Well, verse number 17, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? What we see is that Paul's plans are changed, not because he's unstable, not because he's untrustworthy, but because he's sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You and I ought to be the same way. We ought to have our life guided by the Holy Spirit. If we feel like the Holy Spirit tells us to do something, that's what we ought to be doing. doesn't matter what plans have been made. If the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is the way you need to go to work today, you better go to work that way that day. It might be that, that it keep you from getting hit by another car, but it might be that somebody's broke down and needs help. But if God gives us things, and that's all the Apostle Paul's doing right here. He is sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do you really think that I would say things and have no intentions of carrying them out? Do you really think that, that I would say one thing and do something different? Do you honestly think that I'm just talking out of both sides of my mouth after all that I've done? Do you really think that, that I say yes and no of my own intentions and that I'm not led by the Holy Spirit? That I'm not sent to the places that God would have me to go to do the things that God would have me to do? Do you really think that, that I am just doing things according to the flesh? Do you really think that, that I say these things, and, and if I don't do something, that I'm not a, a man of my word. See, even, even in Paul's day, when he was Saul of Tarsus, even back in the day when he was the man that was bringing persecution against the church and bringing out threats and all manner of evil against the church, even in that day, he was a man of, I guess you would say, integrity. He was a man of his word. He's a man that did what he said he was going to do. If you don't believe it, ask the Christians that he was after to persecute. So now here he is. He's met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He's been anointed and appointed. He's been called an apostle. He's been sent to the Gentiles. And he has the same type of zeal that he's always had. He's still a type A personality. He's still the same kind of guy. The only thing different is now instead of working against God, he's working for the glory of God. What we see here... And this letter is, is, is somewhat, and, and parts of it, you pull it, is, is Paul's anguish in having to defend himself. He's done nothing wrong. Surely if anybody would be a testimony of the work of the Apostle Paul, it would be Corinth. After all the work he did in Corinth, after all he did putting up the church, after all the people that he led to the Lord, after all the people that he discipled, after all the things he has done for Corinth, surely if anybody has got his back. It would be Corinth. Can, can I tell you, in our own day, in our own world, in our own time, to, to, today, just you and I right here where we live, anytime somebody talks about us, anytime somebody slanders us behind our back, anytime somebody trash talks about us and, and throws stuff in there, that, that even though we know it isn't true, can I tell you, it still hurts. We can brush it off and we can pretend like it don't and we can move on, but it's on your mind when you go to bed. 
It sticks in your heart. You act like it doesn't bother you, but, but we're real. And Paul's real. Paul dealt with the same things. But, but what Paul is dealing with here is not only is somebody slandering him, but here's the thing that you've got to be careful of. It hurts bad enough when anybody out there on the street slanders you and talks, but when it's the one you thought you could trust. When it's the one that you thought was your friend. It's the one that you thought had your back. The one you thought was praying for you. Somebody that you could actually count on. Can I tell you that hurts even a little bit more? Verse number 18, he said, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. Paul said, you don't take my word for it? I mean, you should have. I've not done any reason to cause you to doubt me, but if you don't take my word for it, here's an oath before God himself because God is faithful. Paul never lost sight of his mission. He never lost sight of who he's on a mission for, called of Christ. He never forgot his road to Damascus experience, and he told everybody that he met about it. Every time he came before somebody, he told them that he was called of Christ. He is an apostle of Christ. And, and even in this, his word ought to stand as his bond. Same is true to a Christian. The word ought to stand as a bond. Today, man, you enter in any kind of agreement. You go buy a house. You go buy a car. You go buy a box of toothpaste. You go buy a pencil sharpener. If you, have to, if you finance it, you're going to spend a half a day signing papers. I don't care what it is. If you borrow a, a, a nickel and two pennies, you're going to spend a half a day signing papers. And the reason you're signing all those papers is to try to make sure that the lender gets his money back. Can I tell you something? The paper ain't going to make somebody pay it back. It's integrity. It's principle. It's honesty. You, you and I, the papers shouldn't be nothing but in our way. That ought to just be a formality we have to go through. We ought to set out knowing we're going to repay it regardless. It ought to be our word that things hold true. It ought to be our testimony. We ought to be a people of integrity. We ought to work to be a people of honesty, ones that people know that they can trust based on our actions. But you know, no matter how hard you work, all you got to do is be on somewhere, tell somebody you're going to do something. You can get caught in traffic, miss an appointment, and the enemy's going to start tearing you down over something that couldn't be helped. The enemy starts throwing their rocks in your court. And, and you know, if the enemy can get two or three to listen and get one to put it on Facebook and start making it public, before you know it, perception becomes reality. And you become guilty of something that you never did. It's just the world that we live in, so it's all important that we protect it. It's not so much whether or not they accuse us. It's whether or not it's true. Now, next couple of verses here, Paul gives us some guidance as to how to handle things. Paul's not one of the ones that took things as an insult and got his lips all pooched out, dragging the ground, and got all bent out of shape with his feelings hurt, and I'll just leave this church. I'll just let them sit over by themselves. I'll just go somewhere else. Paul says, I'm a preacher of the gospel. And when you attack me, you attack my character as a Christian. You're not attacking me. You're attacking the Word of God. You're attacking the very one that I serve. Your attacks are an attempt to tear down what I'm preaching, who I'm preaching, who I'm preaching for. And Paul wasn't going to lay down and take it. So, so Paul writes a letter. He says that when God's word is involved, and God's faithfulness is involved, and God's fullness is involved, I'm going to stand up for it. Verse number 19, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who has preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Now he would establish us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us is God, 
who hath sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So, so Paul gives us the Trinity uh, uh, right there just in those two verses. We are established in Christ. We are anointed by God. And we are filled with the Spirit. You all jump up and do a lap right there. That's talking about you as a child of God, the same as what Paul is. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, right here in verse 23, goes on. And he says, Moreover, I called God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. Paul says there's yes and there's no. We're talking about the Christ that we have preached. And Christ is indeed God's unwavering yes. In all things, Christ is God's yes. He is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchanging God. He is the unchanging Savior. The universe will change. The things of the universe will decay. But our God will stand forever. The galaxies will fail. The stars will fall. But Christ is always the same. Jesus Christ walked on this earth in the body of a man in the flesh. He walked in this unchanging world, but throughout it, he never changed. He always remained focused on the center of God's perfect will. He, he, he wasn't one thing to one person and another thing to another person. He didn't treat the rich people one way and the poor people another way. He treated the woman at the well with the same respect and dignity that he treated Nicodemus that night. He, um, he showed the same compassion to Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, as he did to Simon Peter, who, who turned his back, but then he came back. He was always the same. He loved Herod. He loved Caiaphas. He loved Pilate the same way that he loved John, the beloved disciple. He was always the same. He died for the Roman soldier. He died for the ones that nailed him to the cross the same way that he died for the women that covered the Via Della Rosa with their tears while he was on the way to Calvary's cross. The same way that he died for you and I. He was the same then. He's the same now. He is God's unwavering yes. You and I, we get hot and cold. Anybody say amen. We have good days and bad days. Anybody say amen. We have our little inner circle of friends, and then we have um, those that aren't in the circle. We'll just leave it at that. Jesus is always the same. Wise beyond words. Loving beyond comparison, powerful beyond any situation, powerful beyond any possibility of defeat, and always the same. You and I can be persuaded. We can be bullied into things. We can be influenced by others. We can be influenced by situations. We can be influenced by circumstances. We can be driven by ambitions, driven by money, driven by opportunity, persuaded by advantage. But Christ is always the same. The closer we get to Christ, the more we'll maintain the same. The less we'll be driven. The less we'll be pulled. The less we'll be persuaded. And the more focused we'll be on the perfect center of God's will.
Christ never deviated. He never got away from the center of the perfect will of God. That means he never had to apologize for anything. Wouldn't that be nice? There wasn't a single flaw in his character. There's not a single flaw in his conduct. There was never a single flaw in his conversation. He is always the same. Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Paul says, this is the Son of God that I myself and these others have preached to you Corinthians. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Colossians 2, 3 says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse number 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God has invested everything in his Son. The tens of thousands of promises of God find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has no reservations when it comes to Christ. Christ is the answer. So when it comes to man's integrity... Our integrity, when it comes to the way people looking at us, I, I don't know that there's anything that is more important for us to maintain than our word. If your word's no good, your core is no good. The core backs up who you are. If you can say one thing and do something else, the core needs work. Pe- people look at you, people judge you. If they're judging you and you're remaining true, Let them judge. Christ will take care of that. But if they are judging you because you're saying one thing and doing another, judge yourself. Our word must must be important. Our word must be the things that drives us. Paul is saying that all the promises of God, they have their unchanging fulfillment in Christ. And we as believers show the glory of God in us when we do things like Christ. We show the glory of God in us. In us, when we keep our word. We show the glory of God in us, when we're people of integrity and a people of honesty. So here in this passage, Paul includes everybody. You notice he uses the Greek word, yea, and he uses the Hebrew word, amen. That is affirming that he is the God of the Old Testament, and he's the God of the New Testament. He was the God of Abraham, but he's the God of the church at Corinth, and he's the God of the church in LaGrange. He's the God of yesterday and today. He's the God of the prophets of old. He was the God of Paul. He's, he's my God. Anybody else's God? Is, is he God for anybody in here? He is, he is our God, the same God. We echo his goodness when we keep our own word. So in verse 21, he says, He which establishes us with you in Christ. So Paul stakes his integrity here in Christ and has anointed us. Or he had anointed us as God. Verse number 22, he goes on here and he stakes his integrity in the Spirit of God, who also hath sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The disciples, they didn't put their trust in Jesus Christ in vain. But for a while, they were wondering. Because, see, when Jesus told them he was going away, to them it seemed as though he was letting them down. They expected him to come set up his kingdom. They expected to be kings under him, to rule and reign. They expected him to come set up this authority. So it seemed to them as though he's going away, he's letting us down. But Jesus assured them, you have nothing to worry about. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. As sure as I go, the Father's going to send you another who is going to be 
your comforter. See, Jesus had been with them, but the Holy Spirit was going to be in them and in you and in me and in every child of God that comes afterwards. So in Jesus' final farewell over in Acts chapter 1, he says, you guys wait right here. You wait here in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes. So 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes in and he fills them. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he continues on what the Son had began. Carrying on the Word of God. So Paul reminds the, the Corinthians. And the reason we're studying it is because the Apostle Paul is reminding us of the threefold work of the Holy Spirit. He would establish us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is, I don't know, it's one of those lesser known, um, more misunderstood. A lot of people talk about gifts of the Spirit and different things. But, but the anointing, um, you know, in the Old Testament, you had the prophets that were anointed. They were anointed to be prophets. And in conjunction with the word anointing, you got words like consecrate and you got words like sanctify that means to be set apart for a holy use it is the setting apart of a man by God for the use of the Holy Spirit in the work of the Son that that is anointing that is consecrating that is um, sanctification that is setting apart so in the Old Testament we see the anointing of the prophets and we see the anointing of the priest and we see the anointing of the king but in the New Testament we have the perfect prophet we have the perfect priest and we have the perfect king in the Lord Jesus Christ he is our perfect salvation he is our perfect sacrifice he is our perfect redemption he is our perfect atonement he is our perfect everything we can just sum that up right there and move on since I need to get a little bit further along than what I've got time to get but he has fulfilled the work of our salvation he is seated at the right hand of the father But the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us. The Holy Spirit has come to fill us and in the power of God to anoint us. You've heard me talk about it before in reference to preaching about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Um, Even even as Adam and I talked on on Sunday night and a little bit nervous prior to preaching, there's an anointing. I, I know this more so even from traveling and preaching. Sometimes when you're sitting there waiting for the time to come, there's there's nerves. It's just what it is. And and as you're coming up the steps, there's nerves. And even when you come around here, I don't know where I got that piece of fuzz from, but it's got to go. E- even as, as you come in here, there, there's a little bit of nerves until you start talking about God's Word. Until you start reading from the Word. And it's like once you get behind the podium and you start breaking open the bread of life, all of the nerves go. That's the anointing. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God that shows up and all the nerves go away. You didn't have it sitting out there because you didn't need it sitting out there. You won't have it after amen and you walk down because you don't need it. It only comes during the time of the delivery of the message of God's Word. But let me give you one that might be a little bit easier for you to understand because everybody's not stood behind the podium and preached. Everybody's not stood up and taught Sunday school, but everybody's talked to a person. If you ever talked to a person, say amen, raise your hand. You ever talked to a person? You ever been talking to a person 
And you, you were, maybe you're witnessing to a person. Maybe you, you've met somebody and you're trying to tell them about Christ. You're trying to lead them to the Lord. Maybe that wasn't it at all. Maybe you're just talking to somebody one day and kind of like the guy come up to you the other day. The conversation starts talking about Jesus. He wants to know more about the Bible. Before you know it, the conversation took a turn and you find yourself talking about the church. You find yourself talking about the Lord. You find yourself talking about heaven and hell. You find yourself talking about salvation. And what you know is you find yourself quoting some scriptures. You find yourself saying some things in the be honest, you start saying some things you didn't even know you knew. You start, you start thinking pretty good. Man, I quoted that pretty good. You start wondering where all that stuff's coming from. Until you get home and you want to tell your husband or your wife, and you're talking about this guy I met today, and we're talking, and man, he said something, and, and I quoted, um, 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 what was that? Um, and for the life of you, you can't remember what you said. You know why? Because you really don't know it. The Holy Spirit recalled it to you that was an anointing that was an anointing on your life God used you God spoke through you and God recalled a verse to you that's why I say it's important you got to read the word of God he can't recall what you've never read but if you put it in there it's stored up in that squirrel cage somewhere and God knows how to find it and when he needs it when you're talking to somebody he'll spit it out you start quoting verses man you think you're an evangelist done struck it rich it's an anointing. It's an anointing. That's what the Holy Spirit came for. It is to anoint you and I, to give power that God can use you and I. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Whew. I, I, I got to stay down right here. I didn't have time to preach. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, look, let me just skip down right here. I want to look at one more word, and I want to have a few minutes to pray. So let me just skip down to a word I want to talk to you about just for a minute. It's there in verse number 22. Who also hath sealed us. I like that part. He sealed us. And given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Oh, I like this. That word earnest, that's where we get our word earnest money. That's where we get things like earnest money. See, Brandon and Brittany, our, our new youth pastor, they're about to buy a house. And today they had to put down earnest money. What that means, this is my promise that I'm going to buy the house. But I'm going to pay the rest of it. See, the Greek word used right here, in all honesty, I didn't even bother to print it out. I tried about five times to figure out how to say it, and there wasn't no way. It wasn't coming out of these redneck lips. So I'll just tell you what it meant. It is part of the purchase money given in advance as security for the rest. A pledge given to secure a contract. Part of the price or purchase money. A first payment that which confirms the bargain and which is regarded as a pledge that all the price will be paid. Amen. Ephesians 1.13, In whom also you trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession Unto the praise of his glory. What, what the earnest means is this is mine. I've bought it. 
and this is what I'm putting on it, but I'm coming back to get it. See, when you and I accept Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the earnest money. We receive the down payment. Jesus came down here, and he paid it all with his blood. And he took all of the payment with him. He took his blood back to the mercy seat. So he took the payment in full with him when he went back. But God sent back his earnest money. And anybody that accepts Christ says, this one right here has got my earnest. This one's got my deposit. This one's got my payment on him. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he's bringing payment in full. And everybody that has the earnest paid is going with him. I like that word. It's regarded as a pledge, as an assurance. God gives this assurance to his people. God has given us an earnest. God has given us an assurance. God has given us a promise that you are bought and paid for, and I'm coming back to get you. And nothing can take you from me because I've already paid for it. It's not talking about there in the verse... It's not talking about the, the earnest of the Spirit and getting the influence of the Spirit. It's not talking about a lot of people misinterpret, they misteach. It's not talking about the gifts of tongue, the, the spirit of the gifts of tongues. It's not talking about the, the gifts of healing. It's not talking about um, the gifts of interpretation. It's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. God's just not going to give you one little gift and say you have the gift of tongues or you have the gift of healing. No, when it says he's given you the gift of the Spirit, he's given you a gift of one-third of the Godhead living inside of you and I. He said, this is my deposit. This is my down payment. This is my earnest money, which I promise that I'm coming back to get you. Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God says, I've sealed you as mine, and I'm giving you my spirit as my promise. I ain't even get started. Lord willing, we're going to pick up there Wednesday night, and we'll, we'll go. There's still a, world right there, a word right there that's sealed, and, and there's still mine, and there's still the promise, and there's still the help of the Holy Spirit inside of us. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll work on that Sunday morning. And talk about the help of the Holy Spirit. Anybody since you got saved, the Holy Spirit helped you out some? Helped take some things from you and give some things to you? I want to take a few minutes. Um, we got just a little bit before they release the, the, the emerge. Not very long. But if we could take some time, come to the altar, sit where you at, it doesn't matter. But I want to take some time to pray. You heard the prayer request that were lifted up tonight. You heard the things you were asked. Uh, you know the families that need prayer. You know uh, the families are the ones that are sick that need the prayer. I want to ask you to pray for them on their behalf. I want to ask you to pray um, for Unity Baptist Church I wanna ask, or for Friendship Baptist Church. Uh, I want to ask you to be in prayer uh, for Oakside and, and to be in prayer for how do we be a blessing to that church. Um, I think prayer is the key. But... Um, And it's always good to start out with thank you, God. Not only for the down payment, but for the payment in full. I know when he comes to get me, there'll be no sin debt left on my plate. 
There'll be nothing so big that he can't pay for it, nothing so high that he can't, that he can't cover it, nothing so bad that his blood can't wash it away. Payment will be in full.